Um, please turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 13. That's Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 13. Please follow along as I read from the English Standard Version. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was there with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is the word of God. Thank you, John. And it is super cute uh, watching them wear the same pajamas because we were doing Zoom meetings this year and so we got to see you know people in their pajamas and they were always kind of uh, John and Rosie were always matching which is super cute. Um, just want to extend another warm welcome to everyone it's good to see you. Uh, if you're here for the first time or you've been away for a few weeks uh, we've jumped into a new series through the Gospel of Mark. Ooh, let's go back. Um, this is the second week and we're going to spend you know, maybe two months in Mark, and then we'll pause it, we'll go somewhere else, um, and then we'll come back to Mark. And Mark will take us most of the year, if not, it'll bleed into next year, because even though it's only 16 chapters, uh, there's a lot to go through. Now, I just want to give you a warning. I may cough during my, my sermon today, um, and you're like, oh, he's got COVID. I got tested, um, and my wife's been tested. We don't have COVID. Um, I've just got a cough. But still stay away because I've got a cough, but I don't have COVID, okay? I don't have COVID, right? It's for those online as well, because this is, this is on the internet. Um, just want to say that. All right, Mark chapter 1. You know, I heard there's a new TV show out. Uh, I heard it's quite popular called The Bling Empire. Now, I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't seen it. Um, but just from looking at the pictures and the trailer, I'm assuming it's like an Asian version of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Right. Do you know Keeping Up with the Kardashians? I've, I've seen some episodes of that one. Um, and basically, it's just you know, following rich people right, and seeing what they do and how they live. Right? And if you can have a glimpse of you know, what they do and how they live, you can see you know, what matters to them. You know, what's their purpose in life? And you know, on IMDb, uh, it says about the Blink Empire, follow LA's wildly wealthy Asian and Asian-American fun seekers as they go all out with fabulous parties, glamour and drama in this reality series. Right? These wealthy Asian and Asian Americans as they go have fun, they go to parties, etc. And you can kind of see as you watch this show, I'm assuming, you can see what matters and what they're about. You know, in today's passage, we get to uh, see Jesus for the first time in the Gospel of Mark. Right? We're introduced to him. And even from the beginning, we get to see a glimpse of who he is and what he's about. A glimpse of really the purpose of his whole life, right? Kind of like you'd see in these reality shows. And what we find is that this 30-year-old is about to begin his ministry, but even though he is God the Son, 
Even though he's the most powerful person in the whole universe, his lifestyle is very different from you know, the ones that you might see on the Bling Empire. Right? The King's Empire is very different from the Bling Empire. Well, that, that rhymes. And so as we begin uh, to see uh, what his life is like, we're going to see three things. Right? He does three things in our uh, verse today. He's baptized by John. He meets with the Holy Spirit and the Father. And then he goes to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And in each of these three things, we get an idea of why Jesus came to earth. Right? What's his purpose? Right? Why he, is he here? Right? What on earth for? Right? What on earth is he here for? And so let's jump right into it. We've got three points. And the first reason Jesus came was to be our righteousness. Right, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. If you were here with us last week, we were introduced to John the Baptist or the baptizer. Right? He goes around preparing the way for the king that is to come. Right? And the king here is Jesus. And what's surprising here is not that Jesus would associate himself with John the Baptist. Right? That, that makes sense because you know, they're a part of the same team and they're running for the same goal. But what's weird is that it says that Jesus went to be baptized by John. Right? That's surprising. Or why is Jesus, right, God the Son the king of kings, being baptized by John. And the reason why this is really surprising is because in verse 4 last week we saw that John's baptism well, was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And it's surprising because Jesus is meant to be sinless. He's meant to have nothing to repent for. So then why is this sinless Savior going to be baptized when it's a baptism of repentance? And if I were just to give you the answer, it's, it's that point. It's to be our righteousness. Right? To be our righteousness. And I'll explain what that means. Right? If we go to Matthew chapter 3, Matthew's account of this scene is a little bit more uh, descriptive. He says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Right? So even John the Baptist is like, well, what's going on? This is the wrong order. You should baptize me because you're better than me. Why am I baptizing you? And in verse 15, Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Right? To fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Jesus came to earth not just to be perfect, but to be our perfection. Right? Not just to be righteous, but to be our righteousness. And there's a slight difference there. If all Jesus wanted to be was perfect, he should have stayed in heaven. Because he was already perfect in heaven. Right? There was no need for him to come to earth right, to be perfect, right? because Jesus is already perfect. The reason why Jesus came to earth was so that he might relate with us, identify with us, be like us, be perfect for us, right? In all the ways you and I are meant to be perfect so that later on he could take our place, right, on the cross and he could give to us his righteousness. Right, a couple of verses in verse, uh, verses later in verse 11, Mark 1 verse 11, it says, A voice came from heaven, God the Father here, says, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Right, that's what all of us, we want to hear from the Father. 
We want to hear from the Father. With you, I am well pleased. But the problem is, right, in our sin, He is not pleased. Right? Because we deny God, because we make ourselves our own Lord and Savior, because we you know, make bad decisions, we are not pleasing to God's sight. And that sin separates us from God the Father. Right? It earns us judgment, death, and hell. And so Jesus comes to earth. Right? This is why Jesus came to earth. To be the perfect and sinless, obedient child of God we are meant to be. And so then when he goes to the cross, he not only dies for our sins, but then he gives to us his righteousness. Right? He, it's like he, he covers over us his perfection. Right? This is the first reason Jesus came, not just to be perfect, but to be our perfection. This is a really big deal, and maybe you're sitting here thinking, you know, why should I care? Why do I need Jesus to be perfect for me? You know, maybe you don't think you're that bad that you need someone to be perfect for your sake. But the Bible says that we are, in fact, that bad. And I've talked about this, you know, over the last few weeks. It's really important for us to understand right, that we are sinful right, in our nature, to our core, and that we need God to save us. Right, imagine you came over to my place, or let's say we went to a cafe, and I poured you a cup of water, and it's like mountain, spring, filtered you know, water, 100% pure, you know, the, the, the most, you know, best water that you can find, I don't know. And it's glistening in the cup, and as you reach for the cup to take you know, a drink, I quickly grab a stick, and I dip it in some uh, dog poo, and then I swirl it around in your cup. Would you drink the water? <laughs> There's always someone who's like, yes, I would. Right? No, you wouldn't. And I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. It's still, it's still pure water. There's just about 2% poo in there. It, it's okay. Right? None of us would drink it, hopefully. And the reason why is because, you know, you can argue, you know, there's 98% water and only 2%, you know, bad stuff. But, but the reality is that little bit of bad stuff has, has contaminated the whole thing. Right? And for you and me, we look at our lives and say, well, I've done a lot of good things, but you know, I've only done a few bad things, so I'm pretty okay. But the reality is those bad things have contaminated all of us to the core. And so you may be 98% righteous or good, but in the sight of God, you are a sinner deserving to be content. And just as a cup of water with a little bit of you know, feces in it is repelling to us, we are repelling, repulsive to God. And we need someone to be our righteousness. And that is where Jesus comes in. I don't know if you've seen um, Batman Begins, but there's this scene in Batman Begins when um, Bruce... Ba Wait, I read Bruce Banner, but that's someone else. Bruce Wayne. Um, Bruce, Bruce Wayne. He decides to leave his wealthy lifestyle and he, he takes off his like, really expensive coat... Right? And he, he trades it with this uh, homeless man's coat. Right? Do you know that scene? And so he takes up the homeless man's coat and puts it on himself. And he's about to throw away his coat. And the man goes, oh, you're going to throw that away? Give it to me. And that man puts his, you know, this expensive coat on. And that's really what happens at the cross. Right? We take off our sin-stained, dirty, you know, repulsive, smelly, you know, sinful cloak. And we drape it over the shoulders of Jesus Christ. 
And so at the cross, when the father looked at Jesus, he saw not the perfect son, but someone as if he were sinful. I mean, he's not, but he was covering over him. And that's what the father saw. And he judged him and poured out his anger on him. And then Jesus, he takes off his pure white, right, perfect, no wrinkled cloak, right, the expensive one, and he covers us with it. So that if you and I have faith in Jesus Christ, when the Father looks at us, he sees perfection and righteousness. Even though inside we're not. Even though we still mess up. Because of what Jesus has done, he sees that perfection. This is what it means that Jesus was our righteousness. And a part of Jesus being the perfect person for our sake meant he was baptized just like we should be. Right, this verse says, 2 Corinthians, For our sake, God the Father made Jesus to be sin, even though Jesus knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Right, that's what it's talking about, that great exchange that happened at the cross. And if you're not a believer here, if you put your trust in Jesus, right, just like that, your sins are taken away and Christ will cover you with his righteousness. There's no need for you to clean yourself up right before you approach God. Like, you know, man, I've done some bad stuff in my life. I better, I better get myself a little bit better before God will accept me. That's not how it works. Right? He accepts us in our sin if we truly trust and turn to him. And he covers us with his righteousness. And then we begin to live a life of obedience like any child of God should. That's the first reason Jesus came. That's what he was about. And we see that throughout the Gospel of Mark. He was here to be our righteousness, to be perfect, but not just perfect, perfect for our sake. Right? The second reason Jesus came was to bridge the gap. Now in verse 10 to 11, there's a lot going on here, right? It's worth looking at. We see the Trinity here, Right? It's not very common to see the Trinity in one place, and we see it right here, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We see a lot of prophecies in Isaiah being um, fulfilled here. Right? What the, when the Spirit descends, Isaiah prophesied about that. When the Father says, with you I'm well pleased, right? that's written in Isaiah, and so you can have a look there. Let me read verse 10 to 11. It says, when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descended on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, and this is God the Father, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Right? This must have been like such an incredible thing to have witnessed. Right? The Trinity, the Godhead, right there in one place on earth. Right? If this was a movie, like this is that scene where you know, the, the orchestra is like... like I don't know, building up to like this crescendo and, and the, the camera's like panning around Jesus as the Holy Spirit's descending and an audible voice comes out and maybe you throw in a lens flare or two. Like this is a, a huge moment, right? The Trinity is here. And Jesus is about to begin what is going to end up being the most significant three years of any person's life, right? He's going to go into his purpose in life, his ministry. But what I want to focus on here is these two words, torn open. It says the heavens were torn open. In, in the Greek, that's just one word. 
But God doesn't simply show up. He doesn't kind of dissolve into existence. It says the heavens were torn open. The fabric of the heavens is like ripped apart as the Spirit enters, right? As the Father speaks, right? And the, and the fact that something's being torn implies that there is something like blocking heaven and earth. Do you know what I mean? Right? For God to enter, he, he rips open the heavens so that the Spirit can come. Right? I don't want us to misunderstand. God's everywhere. He's omniscient. Even right now, He's everywhere. But the fullness of the presence of God, right, we don't get to enjoy. And this is symbolizing the fact that right, there is a separation and God rips that open in this moment as Jesus begins his ministry. And this is another reason why Jesus came, right? So that that division between man and God will be ripped apart and that heaven and earth can meet so that God and man can coexist, right? Jesus makes that happen, right? Jesus is the center point of this scenario right now. In the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus says something similar to Nathaniel. In John 1.51, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened. Right? That's a different Greek word, but the same idea, that heaven's going to open. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Right? What, what's that mean? What's going on? Like Jesus is saying the angels are going to be like ascending and descending around him. He's the Son of Man here. And to really understand what he means, we're going to go to Genesis. I've got a bit of Bible today, okay? Just, just try to not fall asleep. It's interesting, right? It's really interesting for me at least. Back in Genesis chapter 28, Jacob, this is Abraham, had a son Isaac, Jacob. He has a dream. And in the dream, it says this, he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth and the top of the ladder reached to heaven. And behold, this is the same phrase, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above the ladder. And so in Jacob's dream, he looks up and there's a ladder from the ground stretching all the way up to heaven. And you can imagine like the infinite number of steps that you'd have to climb to get up to heaven. And God's right there at the top, it says. And the angels are ascending and descending on this ladder. Right? And it's, it's kind of symbolic that it's a ladder because you need to climb a ladder. And you can imagine how much like of a hard work and how difficult it would be for us to climb from earth to heaven. I mean, it's basically impossible. It is impossible. But here, Jesus is saying the same thing. He basically repeats that same dream, except he makes one key change. He gets rid of the ladder, and he puts himself in its place. And Jesus is saying when the heavens are opened, he is the way to heaven. Right, there's no ladder now between earth and heaven. It's the Son of Man, Jesus. He is the way for heaven and earth to meet. And again, it's significant that there is no ladder because we don't need to climb our way to God. We go to Jesus. And He is that meeting place for us and the Father. Right? Does that make sense? Isn't that cool? Well, I think that's cool. The Genesis was written you know, a long time ago. And Jesus is saying, right, I am that meeting place. One more. Right? I just got one more. When we get to the cross... We find the only other time that word torn open is used in the New Testament or in the Bible, because, well, in the Greek. And it's in Mark 15. This is the moment of Jesus' death. 
It says, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn, that's that same word, in two from top to bottom. Right? If you know kind of what this symbolizes again, this is the same idea. I'm going to go back to the Old Testament to explain. In the Old Testament, when God told the people, the Israelites, to build a temple, right, which is going to be his house, the temple of God had different areas. And the deeper you went into the temple, the more kind of holier it was, the more kind of present God was. And, and the most holiest place was called the Holy of Holies. And you can just by the name be like, oh, that's a holy place. Right? This is where God's presence was really like kind of thick. And they divided the Holy of Holies from everything else with a thick curtain. Because no one could enter into the Holy of Holies. If anyone stepped into the Holy of Holies because of their sin, they would just fall dead. That's how holy God's presence is. Only one person got to enter into the Holy of Holies. The high priest. Once a year. So if you're not a priest, never in your life do you get to go into the Holy of Holies. And if you're a priest, you probably won't get to go into it unless you're the high priest. Once a year, they'd step into the Holy of Holies, into that presence of God. And you know what? They'd do something funny. Just in case they'd walk in and die, because maybe they purified themselves wrong, they'd tie a rope around, sorry, around the high priest. I don't have COVID. Around the high priest with a bell on it, so that if the high priest goes to pass us through the curtain and they don't hear the bell ringing, that means he's dead. They'd use the rope to pull him back out. Right? That, that, this, is, this is like intense stuff going on. Right? That curtain symbolized the division, again, between man and God. But when Jesus died, when he fulfilled his purpose, it says that curtain was torn. Because now that barrier between man and God was no longer there. Right, that people like you and me, those sinners, if we turn to Christ in faith, we can, like the high priest, enter into the Holy of Holies. Right? We can have a relationship with God. Right? And in fact, the Spirit will live in us. Right? From now and until eternity, we can have that relationship. Right? What an incredible thing it is. And this is why Jesus came to earth. The second reason. So that heaven and earth can meet, and Jesus is the one who makes that happen, right? He bridges the gap. So at the very start of his ministry, that's where we are in Mark 1, the heavens are torn, and right at the end of his ministry, the curtain is torn, right? The same word, only used twice at the start and the end. This is one of the reasons why Jesus came. For the Christians in this room, you know, we, we don't feel it all the time, but it is an incredible thing that we get to close our eyes and we get to pray and God hears. Or that we get to sing songs and God would listen to us because we don't deserve any of it. Right? The reality is we step through those doors which is all fall dead. How dare we attempt to enter into the presence of God only by the blood of Jesus Christ? Can we be confident that we can? And we can. We should be confident. It's an incredible thing. And for those non-believers here today, you can have that relationship with God through Jesus. He is the one that bridges a gap and heaven meets earth. God 
and man meet. And one day Jesus will return. He will come in judgment. And on that day, the final meeting of heaven and earth will happen. Right? We call that the new heavens and the new earth. Right? This world will be renewed. God and all of his children will live in this renewed earth for all eternity. And that's our hope as Christians. The third reason Jesus came was to beat the devil. Verse 12 to 13. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. It's interesting. He's, he's baptized and immediately the Trinity shows up and then immediately he's driven out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Notice here it's the Spirit that drives Jesus to be tempted by the devil. Well, that's something for you guys to think about at home. You know, we think if we have a good relationship with God, life's going to be good, there's going to be no trouble. Well, Jesus had a good relationship with God. He's driven into temptation, into trial. Right? Something to think about. Anyway, the Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness so that he's tempted by the devil. Right? To be confronted by Satan and to ultimately win. Right, to win in a way no other person has throughout the Old Testament. There's a lot of symbolism here as well. 40 days, right, there's a lot of Old Testament characters that you know, went through wilderness or you know, trial for 40 days. Israel went through the wilderness for 40 years and that's probably what is mostly being symbolized here. But Jesus came to earth to beat the devil. You know, ever since the Garden of Eden, Satan... The devil has been out to make humanity turn away from God the Father and to spiral down into sin. But even from Genesis, even from the beginning, God promised that he will send someone. He says, I will put enmity between you, he's talking to this, the serpent, he's talking to Satan, between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he, the offspring, this is Jesus, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Right, we, we see this as the first hint at the gospel. And God is saying there will be an offspring that will crush the head of Satan, which is fatal, but you will you know, bite him in the heel, which hurts, but you know, not fatal. Right? So Jesus died, not fatal. He rose from the dead, but on the cross, he fatally crushed the serpent's head. And Jesus, right through his life, defeated the devil. Now I just want to make clear, this isn't a story of good and evil, like equal power, who's going to win, we don't know. It's good and evil, and God's always in control. Right? Even from the beginning, Genesis, he knows what's happening. Go to the book of Job, right? God is in control all the way. But here at the cross, Jesus finally kind of puts that final stake into the coffin, right? And he, he claims that victory, right? He, he won, right? Right now, the devil's still around, but when Jesus returns again, right, he will uh, completely kind of take claim on that victory that he won at the cross. Now, why should you care? Even if you don't believe in God, maybe you believe in the devil, in evil spirits, uh, that, that's quite like a scary thing to think about. Right? That there is a being out there 
whose sole purpose is to kind of make you spiral into evil and to do bad things and to never you know, have a relationship with a God. You know, First Peter, Peter says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So even if you don't believe in God or Jesus, right now there is the devil, like a lion, looking for someone to devour. That's scary. It's like someone's out there with your name on a piece of paper and they're out to get you. What are you going to do about that? You know, high school's a scary thing. Uh, for me, when I went into high school, um, I, I never had to worry about being bullied because I'm really muscular. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Because my brother was there at the same high school. Right? I, and like, I got treated really well. Like, like all the older people were like, oh, you know, they're really nice to me and they're kind of rude to some of my friends. I was like, hmm. Like, you know. <laughs> but because my brother was there, uh, I, I, Hi. Um, I think they knew that there was someone who'd protect me, <laughs> hopefully. Um, you know, he was there to watch my back, right? to be with me. Right? And that's what we really need in, in this life. Right? None of us can defeat this devil who's going around like a roaring lion. How can we ever you know, imagine that we could defeat such a being? But Jesus is that older brother who is with us all the time, who has already defeated the devil. Right? And if we put our faith in him, he will protect us. He will equip us, right? Ephesians 6. Right? And we have nothing to worry about. That even though the devil goes around like a roaring lion, I think John Piper said this, he is a toothless lion, right? if we are in Jesus Christ. He's got a loud roar, but he's got no bite. If we have faith in Christ, right? he might scare us or try to scare us with his roar, but our faith in Christ secures us. These are the reasons why Jesus came, to be our righteousness, to bridge the gap, and to beat the devil. Right, let me just end with a story. You know, the other week during Australia Day week, I don't know what you did, we probably you know, went to the beach. You know, I went to the beach with Reuben. Right? I took Reuben out to the beach. I don't know if I've ever taken him out you know, to the beach myself. Uh, we got there, set up the tent, I put sunscreen on him, I put sunscreen on myself, uh, we swam in the water, we played in the sand, we ate lunch. And I came home. A couple of days later, I got out of the shower, and Uni, my wife, looked at me, and she just burst out laughing. I was like, well, what's so funny? And she was like, turn around, turn around. She took the, took the camera out and took a photo of me, and this is why she was laughing. I hope this doesn't make you stumble. I don't think you can see. Um, it's not as red as it, it should be, but that, that was my back. Um, I don't, if you can see, it's like red on the bottom, and at the top, it, it's not burnt. And I was like, whoa, whoa, what, what happened? And I thought about it, and I realized what happened. I'd self-applied my own sunscreen. And if you look at this photo, like, that's exactly where my hand can reach. And so I like, reached over, and I put sunscreen on my back, and then I went to play, play and then I got burnt everywhere else. Now, I hadn't been to the beach you know, without like, my wife putting sunscreen on me for such a long time. Right? That, I was kind of maybe too prideful to ask someone to help. I didn't ask uni. I didn't ask Ruben. I tried to do it by myself, and obviously, you know, I failed. You know, it's physically impossible to apply sunscreen to yourself properly. And maybe some of you guys can do it because you dislocate your arm, etc. You know, I Googled this. There are things that people sell 
to self-apply sunscreen. Right? That's how physically impossible it is for us to do it. Right? The problem was I was trying to do something by myself that was physically impossible to do. I needed to be humble and ask someone for help. You know, there are things in our lives that are spiritually impossible for us to do. We cannot be our own righteousness. We cannot breach the gap. We cannot beat the devil. This is why Jesus came to do all these things, all these things and more. And the question is, will you be prideful and try to spiritually take care of yourself, make yourself right, and restore your relationship with God the Father, or will you be humble and ask Jesus for help today? He came to do all these things. We see through the Gospel of Mark, he did all these things. And all we need to do is trust in him and turn to him and live in obedience to him. All these things can be yours today. Let's close our eyes and let's pray. As we go through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see these themes you know, show up more and more. But even from the introduction, the first episode of the King's Empire, uh, we see a glimpse of what Jesus was about. The Bible makes clear, you and I, we were made to know God, but our sin separates us from Him. We need someone to be our righteousness to be perfect for our sake and cover us with that perfect cloak. We need someone to breach the gap, to bring heaven and earth together, to be that center point, to be the ladder. We cannot climb the ladder. We shouldn't try. We should go to Jesus. He is the way to the Father. And Jesus has defeated the devil. He has defeated death. And there's nothing in this world that we should be afraid of as long as we put our trust in Jesus. And so I invite each of us, wherever you are, whether you're a believer or you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus before, I want to invite you to turn to Jesus, to cry out to Him and to ask Him to be these things for you. There's nothing you need to do before you do that. You don't need to clean yourself up. You don't need to make yourself right. You don't even have to know, you know all of these kind of theological things about the Bible. All you need to know is that Jesus came to be these things for you. It is free. And in repentance, put your trust in Him. And in that moment, He will cover you with His cloak. He will breach the gap for you. Your relationship will be restored. And you will have a brother, a king, a lord, a saviour that is with you every day to help you in the fight against the devil. Why don't we put our trust in Jesus today? Pray with your own words. Surrender your life at the foot of Jesus. Let's spend a minute uh, making that our prayer. Let's pray. Uh, yes.